Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Saturday, January 14th, 2023. It's been 3,244 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 325 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, our assessment that strife and power struggles between rival factions in the Russian Ministry of Defense would escalate was accurate, with private military company or PMC Wagner Group and the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, publicly arguing over credit for the near capture of Solidar. We say near capture because multiple Russian sources reported continued fighting within the city yesterday. Second, we maintain the ongoing information warfare between PMC Wagner Group and the Russian MOD is a byproduct of the strife within the Kremlin. Third, we maintain there is a risk of punitive missile and drone attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure, with an elevated risk from January 19th to 21st. Fourth, we are less confident that Russia will continue wide-scale attacks on the Ukrainian electrical grid at the same operational tempo as from October to December, and we're unsure if the ongoing pause is due to precision munition shortages, unfavorable weather, a change in command, or a change in strategy. Fifth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Sixth, we maintain that Russian forces led by PMC Wagner Group have taken the initiative on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis, but remain largely defensive throughout the rest of Ukraine. Seventh, we assess that the Russian offensive on the Avdiivka axis west of Donetsk has reached a culmination point. Eighth, we maintain that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat ineffective and can only mount effective defensive operations, despite the slow success on the Solidar axis. Ninth, we maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, starting in the Donbass region with Luhansk. On the Svatova axis, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops tried to advance in the direction of Stelmachivka, 
suffered losses, and returned to their defensive positions. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Control and Coordination, or JCCC, reported Russian-occupied Svatovo was heavily shelled and an oil-pressing facility was destroyed. On the Kremina axis, Russian forces attempted to advance on Makiivka and were unsuccessful. There are social media reports that Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka are under Ukrainian control, but there hasn't been a statement from the GSAFU to verify the claims. The rumors have likely started due to very little information being reported about either town and a lack of coverage from Russian sources. Mercenaries with Wargonzo did use interesting wording, reporting Russian forces were attacking, quote, in the area of both settlements, which implies that Russian troops are now on the eastern outskirts. Adding to the intrigue, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian positions were shelled in Chervonopopivka throughout the day. We made a small adjustment to the war map in Chervonopopivka. The GSAFU reported Ukrainian positions in Dibrova were shelled, while Worgonzo reported fighting in the forests southwest and northwest of Kremina. Based on the report from Worgonzo, we did terrain analysis and moved the line of conflict closer to Kremina into the forest plantation to the northwest of the city, making the area of no-man's land smaller. We also moved the line of conflict further southwest of Kremina, as we believe Ukrainian forces have been pushed back to the forest edge in the direction of Dibrova. Serhi Haidai, Luhansk Oblast administrative and military governor, stated the Krasna River, which bisects Kremina and is east of Chervonopopivka, does not represent an obstacle to Ukrainian forces. On the Lysychansk axis, fighting continued near Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, with no change in the situation, while the LNR JCCC reported that Ukrainian forces shelled the city of Lysychansk. In northeast Donetsk, on the Siversk axis, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported fighting near Spirna and Berestova. The attempted advance on Spirna was significant, but ultimately unsuccessful. It's unclear if it's Russian forces or PMC Wagner leading the attempted advance on Rozdolivka and Vesele from Yakovlivka, as neither Moscow nor St. Petersburg seems eager to own the unsuccessful attack. Based on all available information, we do not believe that Russian forces have secured full control of Solidar, despite claims by PMC Wagner and the Russian Ministry of Defense. Ukrainian sources and mercenaries with Rybar and Wargonzo reported continued fighting in the western part of the city. Rybar claimed that, quote, cleanup continued, while Wargonzo reported heavy fighting. PMC Wagner and Russian propagandists made claims of, quote, hundreds of dead Ukrainian troops, with videos showing about half a dozen dead soldiers that had been moved together in two different locations. In the center of Solidar, propagandist Alexander Slodkov, who was visibly nervous, ran to exhaustion to one of the areas where Ukrainian soldiers, who all died at different times, had been arranged, while the sound of artillery could be heard in the video. The bigger fight for Solidar was off the battlefield between Moscow and the home of PMC Wagner in St. Petersburg. So, here's the gossip. The Russian MOD morning report didn't mention PMC Wagner, declaring, quote, 
The capture of Solidar became possible due to the constant fire destruction of the enemy by assault and army aviation, missile troops, and artillery of a group of Russian troops. They continuously inflicted concentrated strikes on the positions of the armed forces of Ukraine in the city, preventing the transfer of reserves and the supply of ammunition, as well as attempts by the enemy to withdraw to other lines of defense. End quote. Needless to say, behind the scenes, PMC Wagner head Yevgeny Prigozhin had a meltdown, which forced the Russian MOD to release a second statement only six hours later, which read, quote, In connection with media appeals regarding the composition and participation of various units of the Russian grouping of troops or forces in the liberation of the city of Solidar of the Donetsk People's Republic from the units of the armed forces of Ukraine, we deem it necessary to clarify the following. Offensive operations in this tactical direction, which ended in the defeat of the armed forces of Ukraine and the capture of the city of Solidar, were carried out by a heterogeneous grouping of Russian troops according to a single plan, which provided for the solution of a complex of combat missions. Which provided for the solution of a complex of combat missions. As for the direct assault on the city blocks of Solidar occupied by the armed forces of Ukraine, This combat mission was successfully solved by the courageous and selfless actions of the volunteers of the Wagner assault squads, end quote. Using the words, quote, volunteers and, quote, assault squads appears to be a continued attempt by the Russian MOD and ultimately Shoigu to minimize Wagner's role. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and failed Mobik Igor Gherkin Strelkov noticed the snub and the strife after, as did other Russian mill bloggers. Strelkov wrote that the Kremlin is starting to see Prigozhin and his rising star as a threat, and believes Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu is working against him publicly and privately. Strelkov cited the creation of Shoigu's PMC, Patriot, which we had reported in an earlier situation report as a development meant to compete with Wagner for recruits from Russian penal colonies. Some assessment here. All of that drama aside for a second, using the best available information, we believe Ukrainian forces are still in the western area of the salt mine complex, the main hospital, the railroad station, and the Seal railroad station. We believe the Rybar claim that Seal has been captured is false, with no other source repeating the claim. The assertion that the city remains contested is absolutely an exercise in pedantry, but the truth matters. Fighting continued near Krasnohora, with Russian attempts to advance on Paraskovivka entering a pause. Reports of fighting in or near Blachodatne are false, and claims by Rybar of Russian forces entering Krasnohora also appear to be false, with multiple videos and pictures showing Ukrainian forces not only in control, but no sounds of fighting within the town west of Solidar. On the Bakhmut axis, the GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces defended their positions in Pirhorodne, once again countering the Russian MOD claim from January 11th that the settlement was captured. Fighting continued east of Bakhmut. Geolocated videos and pictures show that Russian forces have not advanced into the residential area in eastern Bakhmut, and we corrected our map based on the updated intelligence. South of Bakhmut, Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting near Klishivka. The GSAFU reported an attack on Predtechene was repulsed, 
The report created panic and joy on social media, depending on the viewpoint, which in our assessment was unwarranted. Located over 10 kilometers west of the known line of conflict, this was likely a squad or platoon-sized DRG unit, which was discovered and neutralized. The GSAFU reported that a Russian attack in the area of Kurdyumivka was repulsed, indicating that PMC Wagner, or Russian troops, remain east of the canal. Some more assessment. While our report for Solidar Bakhmut reads as a net positive, the situation is extremely difficult and very fluid. It is critical to remind our listeners that although we maintain Solidar remains contested, Ukrainian forces control 10% of the city, which includes the Seal Railroad Station, at best. We maintain that PMC Wagner and the Russian MOD are all in and will fight to capture Solidar in Bakhmut at all costs. Further, the now public fight for... Further, the now public fighting for dominance on this axis could spill over into command decisions by Wagner and the Russian military. We believe that tension between units in the field could cause fratricide incidents. In southwest Donetsk, the operational tempo remains low on the Avdiivka and Marinka axes, and there haven't been reports of significant fighting around New York or Novomikhailivka. In our assessment, fighting for control of Avdiivka has reached the third culmination point since February 2022. Positional fighting continued near Opitne, the one by Donetsk International Airport, Vodiana, Pervomaiske, and the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelske without success. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR's, attempt to advance on Nevelske was a disaster. A platoon of tanks tried to make a breakthrough but was destroyed. Despite the failure, light infantry of up to two platoons was still ordered to advance without armor and artillery support and suffered significant losses before retreating. On the Marinka axis, DNR separatists attempted to advance on Krasnokhorivka without success, while positional fighting continued in Marinka. On the Vuladar axis, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian forces in Pavlivka were shelled and up to 20 troops were killed, without any evidence. The Kremlin meant the report to show a glorious victory while confirming that Pavlivka is still contested. On the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border, the GSAFU reported that Russian forces shelled Vremivka and attempted to advance on Velika Novosilka without success. In Russian-occupied Mariupol, the temporary boilers supplying heat to the left bank districts, including the enclaves used by occupiers and Russian propagandists, failed. The only available heat in the city is through 1,500-watt portable heaters and heating centers. United Russia, the same Putin-aligned organization we covered in a special report about the propaganda campaign Mariupol Comes to Life, has set up a heating center. Propagandists with Ridovka also set up a heating tent in the occupier's zone, which was little used. In a testament to how warm the winter in Ukraine has been, the Azov Sea appears to have finally frozen over in mid-January. For reference, the Azov Sea typically freezes over in December and sometimes even earlier. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro. 
There were 49 fire missions on free Ukraine, killing one and wounding two, with seven artillery strikes in the city of Kherson. In Kherson, a terminal where buses for city transit are kept overnight was shelled, damaging 16 vehicles and injuring one person. Russian troops in Olishki on the east bank of the Dnipro were also shelled. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, Director General Rafael Grossi reported that the observer team at the plant was successfully rotated, with the fifth group arriving at the station on January 13th. There is no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, and negotiations to create a demilitarized zone and have Russian forces withdraw from the plant continue. Grossi expressed concern about the plant's short staffing and the pressure placed on employees to sign contracts with the Russian state agency Rosatom, saying, quote, The reduced ZNPP staffing levels, combined with psychological stress due to the ongoing military conflict and the absence of family members who fled the area, have created an unprecedented situation that no NPP staff should have to endure. End quote. In Zaporizhia, Russia and Ukraine exchanged sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orehiv to Kamyanskia, with the shelling of Huliapola reported as intense. In Russian-occupied Berdyansk, the car of the Russian-aligned mayor exploded in an apparent attack. There was no information on any casualties, but videos and pictures showed the vehicle completely engulfed in flames. Residents in occupied Melitopol reported a powerful explosion in the city's center, but at the time of recording, there was no additional information. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported four vessels of the Black Sea fleet on patrol, none of which are missile carriers. In north and northeast Ukraine, Dmitro Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported that the Romadas of Krasnopilia, Esmen, and Bilopilia were hit by mortars, grad rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, drone strikes, and rockets fired by a helicopter. Krasnopilia was subjected to an airstrike, and later a drone dropped three improvised explosive devices. In the Bilopilia Romada, a school in the village of Pavlivka was damaged by a mortar. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Ukrainian arms producer Ukroboronprom announced the completion of a drone with a range of up to 1,000 kilometers and capable of delivering up to 75 kilograms. It's been tested in the, quote, airspace and is entering a demonstration phase of the Ukrainian armed forces. Officials added that development and testing had reached a point where further details of the project could no longer be shared. In the United Nations, the Russian Federation representative to the UN Security Council made it clear that Russia was not interested in negotiating in good faith on a peace deal, telling the council, quote, It will be possible to finish the special military operation only when there is no longer a threat to Russia from the territory of Ukraine and there is no discrimination for the Russian-speaking population of this country, end quote. Quick assessment. If that's the requirement for ending the special military operation, then Russian forces can go home now. In Belarus, Brest military commissar Oleg Konovalov announced that Belarusians who have not verified their liability for military service 
are banned from leaving the country. German media reported that Germany's defense minister, Christine Lambrecht, plans to resign. The initial source of the claim is published in Bild. Lambrecht has reportedly already tendered her resignation, and an announcement is allegedly planned for next week. Johann Wadefel, deputy chairman of the Christian Democratic Union Party in Germany, appealed for Chancellor Olaf Scholz to send Leopard 2 main battle tanks to Ukraine. He said, quote, Everyone wants this. Finland wants it. Spain has long wanted it. Poland is now on the move. And the stubborn chancellor is standing in the way. End quote. Dmitry Kuleba, Minister of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine, claims that five nations are prepared to provide his nation with MBTs, those are the main battle tanks, in addition to the wheeled tank destroyers France has already committed. Kuleba added that German officials are the last obstacle, stating that Kyiv was waiting for, quote, the issue with Germany to be resolved, end quote. Less than 24 hours after the Netanyahu administration announced they would not change Israel's stance on providing military aid to Ukraine, the nation appears poised to provide military technology to Ukraine. The Ukrainian ambassador to Israel said that Jerusalem had approved providing smart warning systems to detect drone and missile attacks. Israeli air defense systems for detecting, tracking, and destroying drones and rockets are considered some of the best in the world. Rumors continue to swirl that the United Kingdom will provide a company-sized contingent of Challenger tanks to Ukraine. The Challenger 120mm rifled main gun has a range of up to 8,000 meters, which is more than double any MBT that Russia can field today. Speaking of rumors, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Hours after... Just hours after the Russian state Duma announced the end of deferments for mobilization and conscription for men with three or more children, Russian officials walked back the announcement. A spokesperson said the change was canceled after clarification with the Russian Ministry of Defense. Communication is clearly not a strength they possess. But it's cool because all is going to plan. In economic news, the ruble improved on rising oil prices, artificially creating more demand, ending the week with an exchange rate of 66 for one U.S. dollar in a volatile session that saw the Russian currency swing almost 10% during the day. Western oil prices increased, with WTI crude ending the week at $80 a barrel and Brent climbing to $85. Russian Ural's crude was unchanged at $56 a barrel. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market jumped to $2.53 a gallon, or $0.67 a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures continue to decline, dropping to €63 per megawatt hour for February 2023 delivery and €64 for March. Chicago SRW wheat futures were almost unchanged, closing the week at $7.44 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. United States equity markets will be closed on Monday, January 16th, due to a federal holiday. We do have some breaking news today. Russia launched another missile attack this morning, further damaging energy infrastructure and destroying homes across Ukraine. According to Air Force Command of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, 25 of the 38 missiles were successfully intercepted. An apartment building in Dnipro suffered a direct hit from a KH-22, 
a missile designed to destroy aircraft carriers. At the time of this recording, there are 12 reported dead, including a 15-year-old girl, and 64 injured, including multiple young children. Rescuers are still combing through the rubble. And that's what we know. Join me again on Monday for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.